Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 13. And uh, this morning, my King Jesus is superior to the world ruler Antichrist. Here in Revelation chapter 13, we're looking at uh, prophecy this morning. And there is coming a one world ruler. When you compare the one world ruler to Jesus Christ, there is no compare. There's some similarities, but there's a whole lot of contrast. And this morning in Revelation chapter 13, and I stood upon the sand of the sea. Now, as we've mentioned before, the sand of the sea and this picture here, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, is a, is a ruler coming out of, the congr- out of the multitudes of the world's population. And I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Now that dragon is Satan. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast." They worshiped the dragon, which gave power to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? I'm going to talk about all of these things here coming forth. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. We're going to look today at a man that will be a world ruler whom this world will love. Now, a self-righteous, using the right measuring stick, an illustration for you, a self-righteous man once boasted to a Christian friend of his, you know, John, I'm not such a bad fellow. There are many worse than I. His friend replied, Ivor, you are measuring yourself by the wrong standard. You measured yourself by the harlots and drunkards you see on Skid Row, and you feel quite satisfied by comparison. But go and measure yourself alongside Jesus Christ and see how you make out. No person's life cuts much of a figure when placed alongside the perfect life of Jesus Christ. The life of the Lord Jesus shows all of us how crooked and defiled our own lives really are. It is no wonder God says there is none righteous, no, not one. This passage of Scripture is given in speaking of Satan and all he does against the will of God. As I studied this passage of Scripture, I would notice several words that would be pronounced several times, blasphemy and power. Now, when God incarnate, Jesus Christ, would come as a baby, as we're going to celebrate at this time of year, he did not come to increase his power at that time, but to do God's will. He says in John 6, 38, For I came came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. We're going to see here the Antichrist elevate himself. Christ would elevate God in the minds of his listeners. There's a contrast there. Politicians, employers, athletes, actors and actresses, even pastors, can elevate themselves. 
They will have ministries, charities, or speak much of themselves and their accomplishments. These very people that do such things are following the very actions and conduct of the forthcoming Antichrist. May all of us be humble and remember to glorify the Lord and not seek to promote ourselves. We must not be distracted by politics and a sea of people, but keep our eyes on Jesus. Stay humble and know true peace. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. Father, I thank you for being our gracious Savior. And Lord, as I compare myself with, with thyself, Lord, how wicked and foolish I am. Father, today as we look at the Antichrist and his desire for world domination, we'll have ten kings that will come with him. There will be much antagonism. There's a lot of war. Our Father, may we not get our eyes on the news but and the wars. May we keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes on the mission of seeking to be a witness for Jesus Christ to lead people to Christ. Father, I thank you for being our gracious Savior. In your precious and holy name I pray. Amen. Now, Satan's counterfeit Christ here, as you find the sand of the sea, it is the world's population. Revelation 17, 15 also tells us that. The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. There's a whore of Babylon that will be seen, and I'll talk further about that in the future, not at this time. But the nature of the ruler, I wanted to take some contrast in comparing the Antichrist with the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do they compare? Why, what is it? We, note, we noted last time that I spoke about this two weeks ago, that the ancestry of the Antichrist is he will come from the Roman Empire arising out of the revived Roman Empire. As we note, and as I noted last time, the Roman Empire has never fully been uh, extinguished. We still have Senate today, right? That, was, that goes back to Rome. Some of the politics and some of the democratic processes go back to Rome. You find in the very image of uh, Daniel, uh, that, Daniel would, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar would have, you find Nebuchadnezzar, that there was a head of gold. There's a, I've got some of these I can give to you. There's a, there was a chest of silver. Uh, there was a, uh, a, a loins of, of, of brass, and that was the Grecian Empire, the Greek Empire. The top was, the, the head of gold was the, the Babylonian Empire. Then you have the Medes and the Persians. Persia today is, uh, is Iran. Uh, Iran is modern-day Persia. You have Greece as the loins, and then you have the two legs, which is Rome, and that was the empire. Well, those you noted that the, empire, the Roman Empire would split into Western Ro Roman Empire and the Eastern Roman Empire, much as you have in the Catholic Church today, the Eastern and the Western uh, churches. Out of those would come the feet made out of iron and clay, but the Roman Empire is still, some of the principles and practices still go back 2,000 plus years. Now, the Antichrist will come out of the Roman Empire. 
He is a blasphemer. His names that we find in the Scripture, throughout the Scripture, about the Antichrist, is number one is he's called the Antichrist, the one world ruler. He's called a prince that shall come. He's called a vile person, Daniel chapter 11. He's noted as an abomination of desolation where he goes into the temple and he does what is exactly against the rules of the temple. Much like Antiochus Epiphanes would do, Antiochus Epiphanes was of the Roman rulers. He would go into the temple uh, at, before the Lord Jesus was born. He would slaughter a pig. There would be a Maccabean revolt. You come into the time of Christ, Herod would rebuild the temple, and in the year 70 AD, the second temple of Israel was destroyed under Titus. They're an abomination of desolation. He's known as a man of sin, a son of perdition. The word perdition there means a, a son of destruction. He's also called that wicked. Now, one of the things that we notice with me, look with me at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to show you some more uh, about his characteristics of the Antichrist. Now, you think about his characteristics, they're very reminiscent or they're very similar to much of the politicians that we see today. People that elevate themselves, talk about themselves, talk about how great they are, all the programs, everything they've done for society. We find also, we're seeing in the world stage, rulers, kings and prime ministers and presidents who many of them, you see some very strong personalities. Putin, Xi Jinping, you find the guy there in North Korea. Trump, strong rulers. Now, you, I'm not saying you like them, I'm just saying they're strong personalities. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, talking about the tribulation period, shall not come except there come a falling away first. There's going to be a time before the Antichrist comes that churches and believers will no longer see the benefit of being in church. A great falling away. And that man of sin, the Antichrist, be revealed, that son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Israel will rebuild their temple. As I have noted, Israel's going to rebuild their third, they'll build a third temple. They have everything in place, ready to be, they could within two hours, or four hours I think, they could have a sacrifice ready. Within two months, they could have the entire temple built. They have it all prefabricated, ready to assemble. Waiting. But as I've noted last time, in Proverbs 13, 10, only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised wisdom, this Antichrist is coming on the scene. We're going to bring peace. He's going to make a seven-year peace agreement with Israel. Is there not war going on in Israel today? There's massive war going on in Israel today. Israel and Gaza and Palestine and all that whole world over there is all up in arms. And this guy will come on the scene to try to make a seven-year peace agreement, and he will come on the heels of peace only to have many wars coming. A proud president. Tancredo Neves ran for presidency of Brazil in the 1980s. He boldly declared that if he got 500,000 votes from his own party, not even God could keep him from being president. 
He won the election, but one, laid, one, one day later he got sick and died. There is no way to know if God accepted his challenge, but what we can, can know for sure is that human beings should not make such bold, arrogant statements. And here is this day in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, who opposeth and exalteth himself against all that is called God. He sets himself up as God. He's very intelligent. In Daniel chapter 8, verse 23, we learn about this Antichrist. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand. He's going to be brilliant. He'll be a very brilliant man. We find such smart people today, many like Elon Musk, very smart. What did, how did Jesus come? I'd like you to look with me in their Bibles at John chapter 8. John chapter 8. So there's one that elevates himself. Jesus could have elevated himself, and yet he didn't. He elevated, as we'll see here, look with me at John chapter 8. In verse 28 of John 8, And said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things, and he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. The Antichrist has said, I'm pleasing me. Jesus said, I'm going to please the Father. There's a humility. We would even find in Matthew chapter 3 that, Jesus, that God, from, the Father from heaven, would say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You want to know something else about the Antichrist? Look with me at Daniel chapter 7. He was, so he's number one, he's going to be very intelligent. Number two, he's going to be very impressive to look upon. He's going to be handsome. Daniel chapter 7. I think it was the last... One of the last elections, our prime minister here, one of the reasons they noted for his election was his looks. Can I tell you, looks aren't a very good reason to elect someone. Nevertheless, it shows you also the shallowness and the vanity of our own nation. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 20, And of the ten horns that were in his head... And of the other which were come up, came up, and before him, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes, and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. So the ten horns are the ten kings that'll be with him. Uh, three horns that fall are much like, uh, like the Babylon, Medo, uh, Persia, and Greece. And, and, uh, but anyways, I'm not going into that passage of scripture, but... He's going to have kings. He's going to have men that are on his side. Apart. They're going to have a loose, they're going to have an alliance. And they're going to prop him up on the world stage as the ruler. Verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 23. Look with me, another passage of Scripture. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance, and understanding dark sentences, shall stand up. So, again, a fierce countenance. So, yes, he's very potentially good-looking, but you know what? He's very similar to his father, Satan. 
In Exodus, it's not Exodus, excuse me, Ezekiel 28, 17, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Satan was elevated because of beauty. How often do we go after beauty? If someone's wanting to date someone, you go after their beauty. That's a pretty, I mean, you have to be attracted, but if you're going after just beauty, beware. Because the world will go after this one world ruler on his intelligence, on his looks. He'll exalt himself against the God of gods. You see, Christian, our evaluation of the world so often is by our eye gate. Look with me at Isaiah 53, uh, 53 verse 2. People are going to be awed by this one world ruler. Isaiah chapter 53. <laughs> Pages are sticking together. Isaiah 53. Verse 2. This is speaking about our Savior. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus did not come in beauty of face. No form nor beauty. The Antichrist comes in beauty. Satan came, exalted himself upon beauty. We as a civilization, we oftentimes elevate beauty. But we're elevating the wrong thing. God looks at the heart. We look, look at them. They're intelligent. They're, they're handsome. They're beautiful. Whatever. But we don't have the mind that God has. I want you to look with me at John chapter 5, verse 43. Another thing about the humility of Christ. John chapter 5, verse 43. You know what? That Jesus would foretell that people would universally accept the Antichrist. How sad it is that so many during the time of Christ, they had the Messiah with them. But he was a carpenter's son. He wasn't an intelligent man on the world stage. He wasn't very good looking. You see, God doesn't want us to look upon the vanity, upon just our eyes. He wants us to look at the hearts. He wants a humility. He wants a humble heart. You, Jesus, and here in verse 43, I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him will, you will receive. Jesus said, hey, universally, people will accept this Antichrist. When Jesus entered, there was no human fanfare. There was a heavenly fanfare as the angels would de descend, and, and the angels would talk to the shepherds. This day is born unto you in the city of David, a, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. But the Antichrist, when he comes, the world news. Listen to this man. One gets a heavenly recognition, the other gets an earthly recognition. 
You find something else in Luke 17, 33. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. The Antichrist came to save his life, but he'll lose it. As I mentioned about that Brazilian president, that he said, only, oh no, God can't even keep me. And the next day he was dead, so also will the Antichrist face the judgment and the death of God will kill him. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Matthew 9.36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. The Antichrist isn't concerned about the world. He has a fierce countenance, it says. It's all about him. Jesus was all about others. You see, Christian we can follow, we, you know, many times we can get sucked in to following a strong political personality, a strong news personality, but oftentimes it's all about that person. Beware. He's like his spiritual father, the Antichrist is, Revelation 12, 3, Talking about the dragon, Satan, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. The seven crowns there, or the seven heads, are the mountains upon which he stands, which is modern-day Rome. The world will acknowledge this Antichrist, but in Jesus, in Isaiah 53, 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. It said he was sorrow and acquainted with grief, but not the Antichrist. Follow me, and all will be well. Look with me in Revelation 13, 4, back to our main passage of Scripture. And they worship the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. So they're worshiping Satan. And they worship the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast, who is able to make war with him? They said, listen, in verse 3, he's all, they perceive he's killed, he resurrects, and they're like, wow, he's got to be the Messiah. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. But the world will worship him, because the world worships Satan, who is their father. Jesus would come in a lowly mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Jesus would come as a babe, a virgin. Innocent, helpless. He'd receive the praises from heaven by the angels. Lowly shepherds. You realize in Genesis 46, Joseph would say that the Egyptians looked down upon shepherds. They were an abomination. He would ride upon a donkey, upon a colt, the full of an ass, the scripture says in Zechariah 9.9. The Antichrist, he has all of the desires that we would have in a fleshly desire for a world ruler. He's smart, he's promising peace, he's intelligent, he's good-looking, the world likes him, he's popular. You see, my friend, we can so quickly be drawn to political personalities and news that we lose sight of our Savior. It is the people that will choose an earthly king over Christ. 
They refuse Christ as their earthly king. They would cry, crucify him! Not realizing that they had the very creator God in human flesh there before them. You want to know something interesting? Look with me at 1 Samuel 8. How often does our world in our society, in our culture. Look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 8. As I was studying this passage of Scripture, this thought came to mind. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, do you realize this mindset of a desire for a one-world ruler has always, it really has always been there. A strong confident, good-looking helps, ruler who can deliver on his promises. He's empowered. This is the very thing that would spell the downfall for Israel as a nation, all 12 tribes. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, the Jews would reject God's leadership for a political king. They wanted a government. They wanted a king that they could look up to. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, and, and, and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, my sons walk not in thy ways. Now Eli was a wicked man. Okay, Eli's sons had done great damage to the image of God before the people. So the people are tired of it. And so there is some reason. And thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. Give us a king. It's this very king, the Antichrist, Revelation 13, 7, that would make war with the saints to overcome them. Man, I'm, you know, it's like an individual today. I'm so tired of those Christians preaching. This is wrong. They make me discouraged. They make me depressed because they speak about Jesus. They speak about a heaven and they speak about a hell. Oh, I can't handle it anymore. Let's just get rid of Christians altogether. And he's going to kill Christians. We want a king that will let us do what we want to do. And Satan's happy to give that. They result of choosing a prophet instead of, they choose a king over a prophet, priest, or judge. He'll take their sons and their daughters, he'll tax you. Does that sound familiar? He'll take of your best for his armies. There's, there's all sorts of stuff. He'll tax you at all that you do. They had someone that would point them to God, but they didn't want that. They wanted to be like all the nations, make us a king. You see, this Antichrist is the fulfillment of Israel years ago, give us a king. We want to be like everyone else. Why do we want to be like everyone else? Why do you and I want to be like everyone? I don't want to be like others. I don't think. <laughs> In Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. 
If our desire is, and, and so often I've gotten wrapped up, in, and I'm, I'm talking to myself personally, about myself personally, I've gotten wrapped up in politics, and when a particular uh, politician does not get in power whom I voted for, I get really discouraged. Whoa, we're over, we're done, blah, blah, blah. Well, we're not done until God says we're done. Because it's the very thing of a strong, proud ruler that comes on the world stage that fulfill promises, and he is able to do some. The people are enamored. But it will only lead to their demise. Israel's desire to have a king would lead, ultimately, Manasseh being the most wicked king of 55 years, and they would now, they're in the time of the Gentiles, where Israel is now under the judgment of God. And we see that today. Israel's desire for a king, though they rejected the God who delivered them from Egypt. An evil spirit would afflict the king Saul when he, for, when he failed to kill all the Amalekites as God commanded. Agag and all of the stuff. The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him, and the spirit of Satan will empower the Antichrist. He came from royalty and power. He's a little horn. The world ruler, the, the world ruler also has seven heads. These are seven mountains and ten horns. These are ten kings that will be with him. There will be an alliance of ten kings that will come together. These ten kings with this one ru ruler of, out of the Roman Empire... They're going to rule the world stage. I want you to note several things about him in Daniel chapter 11. This talks much about the Antichrist. So he's going to be centered in the seven mountains. There's seven mountains in Rome where he's going to position himself. In Daniel chapter 11... How do I know it's the mountains? Revelation 17.9 tells us that. I won't go there for the sake of time, but if you'd like to look it up, uh, Revelation 17.9 talks about those seven mountains, seven heads, uh, being the mountains. Revelation, uh, excuse me, Daniel 11.36. This is a description of the power and the powerful nations that are at war with the Antichrist. Verse 36, and the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods, and shall, pro that's blasphemy there, as we mentioned, that's mentioned multiple times in Revelation 13, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any god, for he shall magnify himself above all. But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces. He's going to have a love for power and military might. It also says in verse 37, neither shall he regard the God of his fathers. It is thought that he could potentially have Jewish background, nor the desire of women. He could be a homosexual. Revelation 11, that's the possibility here. And a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. He's going to honor wealth. 
Then our scriptures, as you think about this, and the verse goes on, verse 39, Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. I mean, he wants to divide up Israel. It says he doesn't have a desire of women. There's not that uh, men and women relationship. Uh, There's a a desire potentially of, he may be a Jew or Jewish background. He honors the God of forces. He loves military might and power. Uh, He loves wealth. Everything that people are searching for today, people want, they want good looks. I mean, there's all these, uh, you know, things to help you look good. There are a lot of things to how to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's exactly what the Antichrist full force pursues. And yet Jesus did not pursue any of that. You see, Christian, our aspirations are to be modeled by Jesus, not by this world. It says, and if you come look with Daniel chapter 7, hold your finger in Daniel 7. I want to look at something else here, a little further on this Antichrist. Daniel chapter 7, as well as uh, Revelation chapter 13, verse 2. We're going to go to Daniel 7 here in just a second, so that's why I said hold your spot there. And Daniel, uh, excuse me, Revelation 13, 2, And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. So here's, you have a leopard, a bear, and a lion. Three images, okay? Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, hold your spot there in Revelation. Daniel 7, 8, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, but whom there were three of the first horns. Now, going back to the image of Daniel, this is where it comes from, Nebuchadnezzar, Babylonians, Medes and Persians, and Grecians. Then you'd have the Roman Empire. First horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horns were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. So you have these three that are defeated. A little horn rises up there in the Roman Empire out of that which will be the world ruler, the toes on the image of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the ten toes would be ten nations, the ten kings that will be with him. Now the lion, the bear, and the leopard, what do those represent? They're used to symbolize three empires of the world powers prior to Rome in Daniel chapter 7, verses 4 through 6. There, the leper depicted the swiftness of the Grecian army under Alexander. And it would have four wings. And from Alexander would come four, uh, uh, four generals that when Alexander died, four generals would rule what was then the Grecian Empire. The bear, the brute force of the Persian Empire, and the lion, the veracity of the Babylonian Empire. And you would find Daniel chapter 7, verses 3 through 8. Daniel chapter 7, verse 3, The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked. Babylon was defeated. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar would go to be like a beast, and he would uh, be, go as a wild man. And it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon the feet as a man in a man's heart. Nebuchadnezzar would, would go to become a beast like a man. So that's depicting Babylon. Verse 5 of Daniel 7, Behold, another beast, a second like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it. 
and that is the Persian Empire. Then you have the leopard, four wings of a fowl, which had upon the back of it four wings of the fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast. So Babylon, national symbol of the Babylonian Empire, was a lion with eagle wings. Persia had three ribs, are the nations they defeated. Leopard is Greece, Alexander, and four generals would rule over one region apiece. There was four regions there in Greece. And then the fourth beast is the Roman Empire. The ten horns are the future ten kings. Why am I going into all this detail? Because the Antichrist comes upon the promise of peace, but the only thing he ever really ends up bringing is a whole lot of devastation and corruption. Jesus came in humility and he brought us salvation, reconciliation, hope, peace, and joy. And it was he who would make war with the Lamb, war with the saints. Jesus, as the horn, the Messiah, and the King, has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus would not rule by his own power, but Jesus, and he, Jesus would understand that I, I came to do my Father's will. But the Antichrist will rule by Satan's power. You see, Jesus was empowered. Jesus is God, but he was God in the flesh, empowered by God the Spirit. It was God the Spirit, God the, uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but God the Father. They're one. You are a body, you're a soul, and you're a spirit. Three. Three and one. You're a body, you're a soul, and a spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But this very Antichrist, as we find in Revelation 13:4, and they worship the dragon which gave power into the beast. There is a spirit that empowers our world rulers today. A spirit that is not, for many, is not of God. In John 19, 11, God would say, Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. And Jesus, as he's there on trial, he says, Hey, rulers, you'd have no power unless God gave it to you. Ultimately, God allowed it. Satan tried to say, God, Jesus, I'll give, you all the found, you know, I'll give you all the places of this earth. You know, if you fall down and worship me, and Jesus would have none of it, and he respond with Scripture. The dragon would give power to this Antichrist. The legacy of the Antichrist, he'll suffer a wound where he's killed, and then he'll arise from the dead, appearing as a Messiah. The real Messiah? What did they do with the real Messiah? When Jesus died, they put guards there because they, they knew he said he was going to rise again. They didn't want him to rise again because they wanted nev never to see him again. Never to know of Jesus again. They sealed up the tomb in Matthew 27. They commanded the tomb and soldiers to stand guard to make sure those, the disciples did not steal his body away and say, oh, he resurrected. But not the Antichrist. He died, and, or so figured, and people are just like, whoa. But he's going to be judged By Jesus someday. John 5, 22, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Jesus is the ruler 
You see, Jesus will come back at the end of the tribulation period, the seven-year period, which is forthcoming. It's in the future when the one world ruler comes on the stage and he'll loosely rule the world. You see our world looking in the wrong place for a Messiah. They're looking at intelligence, academics, wealth, looks. If I said it again, they're going to even religion because people are going to worship him. You see, when Christ was the, is the ultimate ruler and the Lord would harden the heart of Pharaoh, Sihon, king of Heshbon, would have his heart hardened by God. Joshua 5.1, the hearts of the Canaanites before Israel crossed into the Jordan River, their hearts would be melted by God. Christian today, it doesn't matter what the politicians are doing. And the, I mean, yes, we need to stand against evil policies, but if those policies still go through, realize this, that God can still cause the heart of that politician to melt and go to nothing, to absolute fear and quaking. Jesus is still on the throne. In Proverbs, uh, in uh, Ezra chapter 7, verse 27, Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, which hath put such a thing as this in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Ezra was given authority by the king to go back and build the temple. A pagan king let him go back to build the temple. Proverbs 21, 1, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. You know what? This king, this Antichrist, is going to come on the stage and people are going to be given an option. Jesus or anti-Jesus. The real Messiah or the anti-Messiah. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is this Messiah. Humility, peace, joy, holiness, purity, that's our Jesus, the Bible Jesus. You see, Christians, so many of us, in conclusion, are looking to the world and politics. But the best we have to look forward to in regards to politics and news is a world ruler who is only concerned with himself. That's a pretty bleak future. That's pretty dark. The Antichrist will be a counterfeit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus and the Antichrist are compared, you will find they are opposite of one another in their character and their conduct. Antichrist is all about himself. Jesus was all about others. Our world is looking for a powerful ruler to allow them to do as they please. Give us a king! Like all the nations. They're willing to follow a man who will appease their flesh. And that very man is the Antichrist. Fame, fortune, and power. As we would see through the pandemic times, people with much wealth were often regarded for their wisdom of how to deal with the situations even though they had no credentials to make such assertions. But people followed them because of their fame and their fortune. You see, Christian, if I'm looking at the world, I'm going to get discouraged. And that's exactly what's going to happen to our world. They're going to go after a mirage that when they get there, they don't like what they got. A true Christian is one whose Bible is their standard, Christ is their focus, 
and not a man who will fix this world according to political situations. Stop looking to the government. Stop looking to a person for the answers to life. Look to the timeless Word of God. We are to pray for our rulers, but they are not the answers to this world's problems. It is Jesus. Final quote. How foolish for so many politicians. One politician made this statement. I don't make decisions in public life based on religious belief. This is U.S. Senator John Kerry, who was then the front-runner of the Democratic presidential nomination, this is quite a few years ago, who claims to hold strong Roman Catholic beliefs but supports legal abortion and civil unions for homosexual couples. The Bible wasn't his authority, he was. You have to decide in your mind, who am I going to follow? Because if you go after money, if you go after women, if you go after the things of this world, you're going after exactly what the people that will follow the Antichrist are going after. And it's not going to end well. Christian, how about I just follow Christ? Number one, I gain eternity as a child of God. Number two, he says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Number three, he says, bring all your burdens unto me and you'll find rest, peace, joy. That's a ruler I'd like to follow. So whatever you're going through in life today, you're going, it is imperative, it's so important that you make a decision. What am I pursuing? Because the end state of what you're pursuing is either that of the works of the Antichrist or the works of Christ. I like the ending of walking with Christ a whole lot better than it is to go with the Antichrist. And you see, you will be deceived by the Antichrist if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. And I trust this day you would say no to the flesh. No, yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I've sinned against God. Yes, I've offended Him. Yes, I deserve hell. As we all do. And today you would realize that Jesus died on that cross for all your sins, and you just simply ask him, please, God, forgive me of all my sins and be my Savior. My friend, you're forgiven. If you're a Christian here and you know, you say, Pastor, I know for sure I'm a Christian. I can give you a Bible reason. I know I did what the Bible said to be saved. You can give me a Bible reason. Is Christ the focus of your life? Not politics, not news, Christ. Because if I'm looking to these things for a satisfaction, I will always find discontentment. I'll never be pleased. As the world would not be pleased, they would for a period of time, only to be sorely disappointed. So with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, number one, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Number two, if you are a Christian, who are you following? You can only have one master to follow. Is it Jesus or Satan? You said, how can a Christian follow a master that's not Jesus? Well, he can live for himself. And I realize you're here this morning, but I challenge you, is Jesus the focus of your life? With all heads bowed and eyes closed, when you're done praying, look up, and I'll conclude us in prayer. This is a time between you and God to just pray in the quietness of your seat and talk with God as his spirit has worked on your spirit this morning.